it's that time of the year again when your nice hosts take a few weeks off from new episodes. They'll be back at the beginning of March, but until then, we've picked out a few of our favorites from the past year to keep you entertained each week while we're on hiatus. While you wait, you can get these and all our episodes ad-free, plus exclusive bonus audio that's pretty nice too, patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. This week's Nice Replay is episode 298, One Size Bigger and Red, CSS Skill Trees, originally published April 13th, 2023. CSS is interesting to people like me who aren't programmers, but do use Microsoft Word. I feel like you are going to have to explain that. What? The Microsoft Word uses CSS as a concept? Um, actually, under, that, the, under the that, hood, it does. <laughs> I know. That's why it was interesting to me. <laughs> do you oh, have to... <laughs> oh, I thought... Do you, you need me to explain? Hi, I'm Dale. I'm married to Mark LaCroix. <laughs> no, I, I do stuff for the, the thing. Uh-huh. And also, I post things on threads sometimes. Nice, nice. Cool. But mostly so, there, it's about cats. <laughs> That's my entire life story. Right. So I thought you meant practically interesting, not interesting in the way that I find things interesting. I don't know. Because like Microsoft Word very specifically has styles mm-hmm. in a little table, but in like in the ribbon. Right, right. Which is very helpful when you are a moderately advanced Microsoft Word user mm-hmm. like uh-huh. me, where you want to use those headers things and change them to fit your document and then have that wonderful like control F where it, it lists out that outline for you. So it's really helpful. Okay, so words like presentation of it is useful, but maybe not as explanatory. Yeah. As, as it it's should. just kind of there. Right. And then you're like, oh, that thing that Mark talks about all the time, that's in my Word document? Cool. <laughs> that is practically interesting. Oh, we, y'all came together in the end. That's beautiful. <laughs> it's pretty late for a recording night uh-huh. to start an episode, and I'm, I'm that's coming through. There's right. a reason for that. It's because we set up Ellen to record this episode. Yeah, I have all the powers that Mark usually has. Yes. I have. So if I'm super quiet, it's because Ellen's mad at me right now. Uh. <laughs> I, mean, I guess I have that power whenever I edit an episode. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But dang. <laughs> well, the powers usually granted to me while recording is the anxiety of looking at it while it's recording. Yeah, it's more about it's more like responsibility. Mm. Yeah, which is uh, giving everyone a good view into how I handle responsibility. <laughs> uh, well, why? Oh, why have we switched it up to, uh, for this episode? Well, because next week is the GDC. Next week? I thought last week was GDC. Well, from when we were calendar math, Mark. Oh, calendar math. <laughs> right. right. Uh, we're recording yeah. on this day. Uh-huh. This day. And this from day. this day. This day in history. This, this day, day in history. Yeah. Which is the 13th of March. <laughs> Tomorrow's Pi Day, you guys. Ooh. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, but GDC <laughs> yeah. is is next week, not Pi Day. Right. Um. Right. So, yeah, you're going to be there. You're not going to be here. But this episode will actually be coming out after that. After GDC. So you will heard the episode that Ellen has recorded of us of us talking with Mark and Dale about their GDC stuff. Basically, I have to be Mark for a week, and that's why yeah. I'm we're practicing. Anyway. <laughs> so, I, would say, I would say I feel very weird. One, yeah. one, not having the stuff in front of me to monitor. Yeah. But also, we actually switched chairs in the clubhouse, too, yeah. which is very disorienting. He's just looking at my face the whole time. I, it's so weird. <laughs> Stephen's face? 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he said it. <laughs> we still have a couple more meta items we want to talk about. Yes. Yeah. I want to talk about Spirit Island because I've been obsessed with this dang game. Yeah. Uh, it is a board game. It is a cooperative board game. Ooh. Uh, but I've been playing it by myself. Okay. Uh, mostly. I, I, I wrote my brother into playing it. <laughs> too. Um, it does have a single player mode. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I've been pl- I've just been playing it a lot. And then every once in a while, my brother's like, you want to play a game like Spirit Island? He's like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah and then we play um anyways it's a really fun game you, you play as spirits who are controlling this island hence the title um oh <laughs> but there are invaders coming in to try to colonize the land and so you as spirits are trying to prevent them from doing that uh-huh. um, by blowing up their cities is it is it rooted in a, a, a historical locale it's not like no it's not like rooted in a historical locale. it's like historical in that like these things happen. it's the coat of paint on it yeah okay yeah yeah but i mean a lot of it thematically works i mean you're still playing as spirits and there's magic in it. right right, it makes sense from that and you're shaking your fist at spanish conquistadors yeah (laughs) cool you know ironically spain is not in the is that one of the adversaries you can fight against Hmm. which is kind of weird i think there's some um there's like uh but the dutch though the dutch yeah i think the dutch are (laughs) uh it's pretty funny um but yeah it's it's a very fun game um i highly recommend it i've been playing it on tabletop simulator because it's a lot easier i don't actually i have been playing it with uh recent Reese's partner Dylan um I know a lot of Dylan's um and we've been playing it uh you know in person um but I've been playing it online because I just I wanted more it's a very very fun game I would highly recommend it I don't know the legality in terms of you being able to play it on tabletop simulator if you don't technically own it but there is a there is a uh, mod you can get on the um yeah that's a topic that's sort of outside the scope of the show but I'm sure we brought it up before like tabletop simulator is full of a bunch of unlicensed licensed uh, board yeah. games. Yep. And nobody seems to care. Yeah. And it's, it's like a, it's very, there's a sort of um, a detente. Like the board game publishers are like, okay, if we come down and the everyone's going to get mad at us, you yeah. know, it's within our rights because they're stealing our things. Right. <laughs> but we want them to be potential customers. So mm-hmm. I guess this is advertising. It's it's like an un- awkward situation. Yes. Well, I think I think a lot of people who are very into board games use those demos as a way to test out a game right. mm-hmm. before yeah. they purchase the full thing. Because some of those board games are expensive. that's the story. Yeah. That's true. Um, I mean, I, I know that over the pandemic, you know, we played a lot of things on, on – um, uh, tabletop simulator yeah and i wasn't really ever that motivated to go buy a physical copy yeah. but also because i wasn't i couldn't see anyone in person so yeah <laughs> maybe there was a little bit of that going on yeah. um but it does feel like it's it is just piracy <laughs> like it's yeah. just straight up piracy yeah. and everyone lets it no one is complaining so you know you, you don't you're you're not you know uh, there's a, the moral quandary for the individual user mm-hmm. is different right yeah. because it's it's been essentially sanctioned we should yeah. ask um, peter about this yeah. The next time we see Peter. Yeah, I guess that's a good question to ask him. Yeah. 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 Anyways, I've been playing the game on Tabletop Simulator, and I don't own it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for sidetracking, but I get distracted by that no, I- every time it comes up. I'm like, how is that even? I know. I was hesitant to bring it up myself because I was yeah. like, uh, is this okay? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I get it. Um, but that's me. That's what I've been playing yeah. in the Spirit Island. Um, Max. Um, has a new game that he's been working on with Guy Lee, which is the company I guess he's been working with. Yeah. Um, it's called Ra Ra Boom. There's a trailer up now. Yeah, from where we're sitting on March 13th. Right. <laughs> uh, just got announced, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, you should check it out. We'll, we'll link the trailer in the show notes. Uh, it's cool. It's it looks really cool. It's a beat 'em up. Um, I I'm assuming you play as a bunch of cheerleaders because it's called Ra Ra Boom. Uh huh. And you blow things up. I definitely. It's in like high school, I think, or something. I definitely saw some robots in there, but yeah, 
I mean, yeah, mostly it was these are cool rainbow explosions. And mm-hmm. so explosions. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's I'm in. Right. Yep. Yep. But then also rainbows. Yeah. Rainbow explosions. Rainbow explosions. Yeah, I'm very no one's gonna buy two copies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really easy to get me excited about a game. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many games that I hopefully we'll get to <laughs> I need to retire early so I can play all the games yeah. mm-hmm. that's, mm. the, that's the dream I haven't been playing much this uh, last couple of weeks but I've been gearing up to play some more things because Twin Cities Playtest the uh, monthly event that I started with IDGA uh, TC over the pandemic we are now finally doing it in person um, it was a it was a, a an, an event born of the pandemic. It started as an online stream. We were using Parsec to have playtesters come and test uh, in development games and uh, chat with the developers. And it's been it's been great. It's it's the first new event for uh, uh, our our chapter of IDGA in a long long time. Yeah, we have since added three more, uh, which is great. Cool. Um, but uh, back to Twin Cities playtest. Yeah, we're now doing it in person. And so this week. The week of March 13th, <laughs> uh, actually on the 15th, th- this Wednesday, yeah. so this will be long past. That's after Pi Day. After Pi Day, yep. right after Pi Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Roundup from Pi Day. Yep. Um, One day precisely after Pi Day. Right. Um, we're doing it here at Noble Robot. Yep. We're having folks come and bring their games, and we're, gonna, we're setting up the machines here to be streamed as part of the YouTube stream, because yeah. one of the things that we were really talking about, like, well, okay, this is an online event, and it was never anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've done playtest events before as a community, um, and we know how they work, and we kind of wanted to get back to exactly that, essentially, that same format. But how can we bring in the benefits of having it online? And our local chapter, we do the, our monthly presentations that we've done, and we went online for, the, for those during the pandemic, and we're, we're now doing those hybrid as well. Yeah. That's a bit of an easier thing to figure out mm. you get a bunch of people in a room or a virtual room to watch a presenter yeah that's pretty easy to do it both ways at the same time right a playtest event um is More different and our the our version of what it was has evolved over the past couple of years yeah so whew, i hope it works um mm. we'll put the link in the show notes it'll be the link to the video afterwards you'll see how it went um i'm pretty excited about it but it's been taking up a lot of my time like yeah. putting cables in places uh-huh. like <laughs> yep. setting up obs yeah. Uh, you know, running a, uh, uh, you know, a video streams on the network here at the office just so that it can be essentially a seamless operation while it's happening. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm even describing it that well, but it's on my mind. So mm-hmm. talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I'll be there helping as well. Yes. Which I think will be, um, I will, I, you know, I can't yet cause it hasn't happened, <laughs> but, uh, this is me after the fact, thanking you mm-hmm. for helping out because <laughs> no problem. Yeah. It'll even, even if there's not much to do or even if it goes fine, I'll just be stressed. So it's nice to have other people around yeah. to sort of share that load. Yeah. So like you're thanking him now. Yeah. And then if he's going to bank that for later. Yeah. Well, then you can listen to the episode and get thanked again. Right. And Ooh. if he does a, a crap job, then I'll have to initiate some sort of buyback function. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Our listeners just don't have to know how bad I did. It'll be perfectly fine. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. 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 Yep. He, can, he can just owe me one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, you got a topic, Mark? I do have a topic. I want to talk about CSS. Can I just pause to say... No. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> I like that you didn't even try for a transition, Stephen. You just were like, it's huh. topic time. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I do it. Okay, so CSS, uh, I will say, I know a lot of programming languages. Yes. I don't want to brag, but I've wasted a lot of my life learning these things. <laughs> Truth is, you only need one. <laughs> they all do the same thing. They all pretty much do. And I know many of them. 
I would say my favorite thing to write mm-hmm. is CSS. Oh, and it's oh. not even a programming language. Well, heck. It's not a markup language either. It's something totally different. Ah. And I'm going to describe it a little bit um, just informationally so people can know what it is and why it governs so much of the web. Um, but also how it relates to user interface design and specifically how it works in Unity because the new Unity yes. UI system is heavily based on this. And I was thinking like, oh, great, something that people understand. They're finally adopting and everyone in the game dev community was like what is this sorcery <laughs> so if you i mean i said that i mean spoiler alert it's not ready for prime time yet yeah. unity's implementation mm. but it will be and it will be worth using and so um hopefully this will give you a little bit of background on what's good about it sort of structurally because i think i'm going to keep it conceptual um you can read all sorts of tutorials. It's actually not that difficult to learn, but the concepts, I think, are what is a little bit different from other kinds of like programming or markup uh, languages. Okay, so what is CSS? It's cascading style sheets. So there's three important words, and they all have an important meaning. Okay. So let's start at the back. Sheets. The plural is in the name uh-huh. because they know you're going to need more than one of them. Ah. Right? <laughs> it is a sen- now, the truth is, is a lot of websites will just have one document. It's yeah. the CSS for all the thing. But... In its inception, it was essentially designed as sort of modular. So you could load a CSS file here or there. JavaScript is similar, right? Like you have many JavaScript files. Yeah. CSS is also similar. It's, I think that there have been consolidations in a lot of like uh, best practices for web design. This is not very relevant, except to say that it was intended to be a a format in which you would make many documents of. Mm -hmm. Uh, So style, pretty simple. That's what it does. It styles your websites. Yeah, okay. um, yep. yeah n- not that complicated, but we'll get into how it does that in a bit. And cascading, that's the other really important part that I think people um, takes a minute to get their head around. Mm. So um, it's a, a sort of order of priority kind of system. Okay. So you could say, this is my web page. I want all the text on my web page to be gray. Great. I've defined the element web page yeah and i'll just using pseudo elements here sure. yep. and i'm going to give it a property of the text color gray yeah cool all right but then in this paragraph i kind of want to emphasize it to be red mm-hmm. so if i change it to red then what'll ha- well i can just say this has this element has a particular i'm iding as this is the important uh, type of item okay i'm going to say important items have a text of, of red oh so i don't need to say important things are red and unimportant things are gray yeah i can say everything is gray except important things oh. right and that is the cascading element it's a relatively simple concept it's a little bit like inheritance yeah in, yeah. in uh, object-oriented uh, uh, programming languages um it's not as daunting as that i will say but if you're familiar with that concept of you know the what the stupid example the vehicle car truck or, oh. or animal cat calico or whatever that's sort yeah. of like descending notion yeah it's yep. very similar to that you can override the properties of a parent class um, in this case a, a, a cl- an element a parent element mm-hmm. and the way elements are is their the nesting of them is based on their hierarchy in the markup. Okay. Um, so that is that's different from how programming language works. Then. Yeah, yeah. But those are the three words and the three concepts that are important about it. Uh-huh. It's a rare thing that is named what it does in such an elegant way, I would say. So kudos that to is very that. true. I mean, hypertext markup language is not as useful as that. Yeah. No, it <laughs> vaguely describes what it did in 1994. <laughs> anyway. And cascading is just a fun word to say. It that's certainly true. is. Okay, so. Um, the basic thing is it finds a presentation of of elements in your in your markup language, and HTML is the markup language. Yeah. Um, now, why would you even want to do this? I think a lot of people who are familiar with say Word or like styling text 
or in a document, because that's all CSS and HTML are really when you get down to it. You're familiar with how you would do that in a WYSIWYG sense. You highlight some text, you give us some properties. Yeah. There's even cascading rule sets in Word. In fact, secret, it's HTML and CS under, under the hood <laughs> in, in modern versions of, of Microsoft Word. Yeah. But anyway, um, you're used to that sort of thing. But you think of like, I want to make this element red. Why don't I just say this is red? Why do I have to say this is of a type this and then in another document say that things of type that are red. That seems really over-engineered, right? Yeah. Well, there's a couple reasons you would want to do this. So the first thing is conceptually separating your content from its presentation, from its view. Mm -hmm. And so this is really important as you're, especially if you're creating a, a website that you don't know what's going to be on it yet. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have to say like, well, or you can populate with dummy content, but then you can style that dummy content, but then what happens when that dummy content is replaced, right? Mm -hmm. That's the simplest reason why you would want to do this, um, is that you just have those styles saved for later, right? Yeah. So anything that, that matches those styles uh, will adopt those properties. Um, but I think that's also something that you have to think of in terms of like, I think for web pages, it's pretty simple because web pages are documents. Like they're, they're apps, they do a lot more. The, the capabilities are endless, frustratingly endless, what a website can be. Yeah. But if you're just thinking about, I'm reading the website of the New York Times, it's just a, it's a text document, right? Yeah, yeah. So logically, it makes a lot of sense there. But I think um, it's that kind of notion of saying, this logic, this bit of code, this markup, this information, this is designed to, uh, to lay out the content in the right order, in, in how, it's dis or how it uh, is um, read. Then I have another document that says, how do I interpret that content and display it for the user? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and okay. so keeping those separated conceptually um, lets you. It's it's a powerful thing. Yeah, and that's true not just in CSS, not just in markup languages or styling, but if you think about that in your uh, game development and software development too, you very frequently now if you're using a game engine like Unity, it's kind of hard not to mix these things up. This is true. But um, the more you can separate those things, the easier time you'll have working with those individual parts, uh, uh, reusing code. Um, understanding code as you read it because, oh, I, I, how does this work? How does the logic of this work? Okay, I'll read this bit of code where only the logic exists. Mm -hmm. I don't need to funnel through all the also styling and, and transform properties right. as I'm also looking at logic. Yeah. I, I have a, if I want to find out how it animates, that's in a separate document, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's no, the borders of where you put these things uh, is up to you, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in HTML, it's pretty well defined. There are three separate languages. There's the markup, the 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 uh, scripting language uh, JavaScript and then there's a styling CSS. They are literally separate syntaxes. You cannot mix them up. I say that, but you actually can. But <laughs> it's a different episode. You can write CSS in HTML. Yeah. You can write uh, uh, HTML in JavaScript. Ah, computers are great. It's it's. I mean, I'm not going to get into all the ways that web dev is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of the scope. Yeah. Outside of the scope of this, this conversation. Yeah. But that concept is really important. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is uh, just to consolidate this stuff, the deduplication, right? So you want to uh, define something how it might be, and then you don't have to worry about how many of those things there are. Yeah. And that's pretty. That's probably the simplest and easiest way to explain to someone why you'd want to do this. Change it in one place. Yeah. Uh, exactly right. Um, the other thing that's important is for alternative layouts. So things like um, responsive design for mobile layouts, oh. even things like RSS feeds, right? Mm -hmm. So a blog. Uh, you could publish as an RSS feed, which is only the content. You don't need to have all, you don't need the, an RSS reader to sift through all these 
these bits that explain you know what text size to make a header versus text size to make the body because your rss reader has its own css rules yeah. for how to display content so separating those things out means that your content becomes portable and and maybe you have to write the different implementations of how it's displayed but sometimes you don't sometimes you just write the content and one implementation and then you can syndicate that content somewhere else for a third party or a standardized implementation um, and that is a, 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 a that is essentially the the founding uh, reasoning behind separating style information from markup mm. is so that you can have alternate layouts. Yeah. An especially important purpose of this is for assistive technologies, for things like uh, uh, Braille uh, displays and um, uh, and screen readers. Mm -hmm. uh, having the content separated lets you basically feed the content to these things in places where the styling information is not only uh, it's not so superfluous, but it's like it's also like counter uh, counterproductive to supply. Mm. That tells you, okay, well, I made this red to indicate that it was important, but on a on a braille screen, I'm not going to be able to say that it's red, yeah, unless I somehow parenthesize mm -hmm. this is you know, and also red doesn't mean anything, right? So it's not semantic. Yeah, what I should do instead is I should define this as an emphasized bit of text. And there are, there, there are things in the markup that can determine this is a header, this is the body of an article, this is a column. And so that determines what the content is. Uh -huh. and, and screen readers, uh, uh, Braille displays, things like that, yeah. they, they have their own ways of handling stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, if you've ever used a web browser and clicked that little button that turns it into an easy to read, with removes all the ads and makes it like slow so correctly, yeah. so it can do that yeah. because a, a blog or a news site has things like this is the page, this is the article, this is a, a, a section in the article. Those are defined in the markup, yeah. not in the style. And then the style again, it's a it's another implementation of the content. It makes mm -hmm. the content portable. Okay, and and, and yeah, for. Um, for accessibility, it's a huge, huge thing. That's really um, funny. I don't, I don't want to jump in too much here, but we, I have to deal with that a lot. Yeah, actually, because all the games, yeah, all the games that I work on for instructional purposes run on the browser. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so different organizations, especially anything funded, you know, by the government, have pretty strict accessibility requirements. Yeah, um, you just got to support four hundred percent Zoom. Mm -hmm. Okay, design a game that can still be played when you've been zoomed in for 400 percent yep you know it's really challenging it puts our ux designers through the ringer um but you know screen readers need the information that goes into css mm -hmm. and if you don't have it if it, it can look right but if it's not styled right then it becomes really confusing for someone who's listening to this you can and we can put these in the show notes but like um you can look up different standards for accessibility there's like yeah I think it's WCAG. People pronounce it different ways, but like mm -hmm. it's um, there's like single A, double A, triple A. Um, there are screen readers you can download if you aren't someone who uses those to, you know, on the regular. You can download them and kind of play with them a little bit to get the experience of it, um, a tiny little bit. And I recommend you know doing that. Everybody at least wants to, to yeah. just understand. Yeah, there are best practices, but yeah, they're, they're also standard. Are there any ISO standards related to this stuff? Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. ISO's great. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, these kinds of uh, uh, things not only help you uh, like service these audiences, but also if you think about your content in that this way, it can basically save you a ton of hassle later, even if you're not as worried or as concerned about uh, alternate audiences for your content. Um, you know, those standards exist uh, and those, those regulations exist for a reason, but 
the reason you would follow them, there are other reasons that you would follow them that are beneficial to your workflow yeah. um, that aren't just about servicing smaller audiences. Um, it's really just about like making sure that it's adaptable to any audience or any kind of change in your content. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is true even if your application or your website is um, is very graphically focused, right? It's not just about text and you know a one-dimensional string of content. Um, it, layout information can also be represented semantically in terms of like hierarchy and priority. And you can you can say, well, this ob- this item actually goes at the bottom of this little card that I made, but it's a second order piece of information, so it needs to be second in in the markup, even though it's going to be third visually on the page. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to put it third in the markup, even though it's third visually on the page, because it's a second order piece of information. Right. So I'm going to use CSS to style reorder objects in the styling information. So that when you just look at the markup, it is the correct hierarchical approach to your content. Yeah. And then visually, you can interpret it however you want. And you put that thing on the bottom of the page and it's, it's bigger and bolder. And so your eye draws to it mm-hmm. second because there are multiple ways to view hierarchies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the more you can separate the display from the sort of raw semantic content, the better positioned you'll be to understand your own content better. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, also, by the by, be able to present it to alternate audiences and in yeah. alternate forms. So even if you only ever present it in one way, it's still beneficial to think of your content in this way. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, all of these things is just my, like I think whether you learn a lot about CSS or get excited about writing CSS the way I am when I <laughs> write it, um, I, I think the point I'm trying to make is like this This conceptually is something you can apply to any kind of architecture uh, in, in software. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can design uh some of the code that I'm working on in this way as well mm-hmm. right now. So this is helping me. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you are interested in the, the sort of, especially with the Unity stuff coming along, um, I do want to get in a little bit of the specifics on on how the markup interacts with the, the styling information. Yeah. So the big secret about HTML, if you ever opened an HTML document and you see, oh, there's a, the, the P tag, that's a paragraph. And oh, that's the div tag, which is just an everything. Everything's a div. Everything. It's divs all the way down. That's the, so that's the comic with the crow and it's going yep. div, div, yep. div. Yep. Uh. yep. A div is essentially just a block of content. So, okay. But what it is, is it's a generic object. Yeah. So you can put anything inside of it and it can be inside of anything. Oh. And that's the secret of HTML markup is that everything is everything. <laughs> so back in the old days when I learned HTML, HTML, you would have a block of text, uh, like a paragraph, and then you'd have the text in there. You'd have a line break. You'd have a span, which would be a span of text. Yeah. You'd have a list item. And now you could write an entire website with just divs. <laughs> every element is a div, yeah. and then those divs have properties. Yeah. That's XML. Oh, okay. So if people who've done a lot of like you know content uh, loading and interpreting in, in Unity or other software, they, they probably know what XML is. Ah. HTML is a schema of XML. Okay. So XML is just a, basically saying that everything is in tags mm. and they're nested tags, okay. right? So you're familiar with that. Yeah. What those tags are, XML doesn't care, mm-hmm. right? It's the schema that defines what those tags could be and what, they're, what they are semantically. So HTML defines a schema of XML that includes things like head, body, you know, uh, HTML itself is a tag that uh, that outlines an entire page. Okay. Um, you know, paragraph, div, span, uh, you know, all those things. Yeah. Div. Um, uh, div, 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 div again. Div. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those, that's a schema that is an XML schema, but HTML is a little special. The history of it's pretty interesting, but roughly, um, maybe not specifically, but roughly, it's just an XML schema. Okay. And you can define your own XML schemas for data in your video game, and that content you probably never think to style it, but if you load it into your 
game engine, you probably are going to d- display it and style it somewhere. Yeah. You just don't think about it in those terms because what you're really doing is reading data from a file, yeah. putting it somewhere else, yeah. and then styling it. But that's all uh, uh, you know, a web browser does, yeah. is it reads the markup, then looks at the style sheet for how to display it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those little intermediary steps that you do manually when you're working with your own software, that the browser does that. Yeah. Um, it just So if you think about it, that sort of like anything could be anything. <laughs> So before I was talking about how like the specificity, the semanticness, that's really useful to think about your content that way. But it's also very useful that what this does is let you, it it does tell you anything is anything. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that a paragraph block is, behaves differently than a span block, that paragraph is a block level element. A span is an inline block element. And you don't need to know what those are. They're just different. But those are both CSS properties. So I can just change them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can say this paragraph is an inline block. This span tag is a block level element. I could do that if I want to. Yeah. There are no rules. I mean, there should be. <laughs> but that that's so you have a little bit of you have some power to define those rules, right? So when you say this is a paragraph, but when I want to display it, I want to display it in a big horizontal row. Yeah. I want to display it like a timeline. Well, then I don't need to arrange things top to bottom. I can arrange things left to right. I just use some CSS properties to do that. Semantically, it's still, you know, laid out one after the other. Um, nested in a certain way, but I don't need to, you know, have them organized visually the same way they're organized in the markup, right? Um, so that's an important thing about elements. So what you can do in CSS is you can say, and this is the cascading bit again, you can say, these are the properties for all paragraphs, for all P, every tag that is a P tag for paragraph. Um, and this is back in the days where they wanted to save typing speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mo- mo- modern, newer HTML elements are usually written full, written out. Yeah. The, there is no consistency on this stuff. And, uh, and that's because it's been written slowly over the, over 30 years. Sure. Um, you just got to deal with that. And that's, for me, someone who's always wants, you know, uh, um, um, fully verbose titles for things. The complete mixed standards on that sort of thing drives me crazy. All right. Mm-hmm. End of a side. <laughs> so for every P tag, you want it to behave this way. You want to have the, there's there's a property called for, uh, first letter, which lets you have it, make it like an illustrated manuscript where that first uh, letter has properties. Yeah. That can be something that's part of a span tag or part of a, a, a paragraph tag. You can define all those things for those paragraphs, but then you can say, but this paragraph is special. In order to do that, you you could either it could be something else. It could be a span tag instead. But you can also give it an ID or a class. Okay. And so, so forget everything you know about the word class when it comes to programming. This is not that. Yeah. Uh, even HTML defines class in a different way than CSS does. Great. But an ID is just a string, uh, a property that says this item is is ID this. In practice, there's only supposed to be one of those things. Um, but there's no no rule that governs that. You can make as many of the same ID as you want. Classes are the exact same thing except they're meant to be reused. So uh, it's a little bit of a, the thing about HTML, JavaScript, CSS is they fail gracefully. (laughs) So the thing about classes and IDs, it's more of a best practice. They both do the same thing, essentially. Okay. There are some under the hood differences, but in in practice, you'll be hard pressed to notice a difference between them. Yeah. Classes you do for most things. And a lot of um, frameworks uh, use classes even for things you're only supposed to have one of, just to keep things consistency mm-hmm. consistent. Um, but basically, it's you know a, a p tag, and then you give it. You can say um, in HTML, you can give properties inside of a tag, and CSS basically argues that you don't want to put any properties on tags. You want to make them all classes. And then you put the properties in CSS. Okay. That, the oh, the sure. thing about HTML is you can define a lot of those properties as HTML attributes. Um, but you, 
and that all that backwards compatibility is still there because web pages from 1993 still load up and look roughly the same way they did. Uh-huh. Minus the blink tag, that's gone. <laughs> look that up, folks. Uh, <laughs> but but essentially, HTML is is aggressively backwards compatible. Um, so a lot of this is up to you for best practices. If you just learn how to write web pages, uh, just through practice, you uh, you can kind of do anything, and it's really easy to learn the sort of like I would incorrect in quotes because another philosophy of the web is that it fails gracefully and it handles a lot of ways to do it so that it's more accessible to people. Yeah. Um, we've talked about statically versus dynamically typed programming languages yeah. and how sometimes having a tighter box to work in can be make it, uh, it easier to learn. Yeah. And I'm a big proponent of that. At the same time, there is a lot of value towards an extreme, uh, sort of an extremist position on the other end, which is to say like, here are some things, do what you want. There's almost no way to break it. Um, you're not, it's going to be harder to learn, but you can get something on its feet faster. Mm-hmm. Um, back when uh, HTML was not a professional thing to do. No one had jobs writing HTML, right. so you couldn't be expected to care yeah. about how, how the right way to do it was. Right. That has changed a little mm-hmm. bit. It's really easy to spin out on all sorts of different topics on this because everything is connected to everything else. Yeah. But basically, tags can be anything, but certain tags have sort of default properties that you don't have to set, but you can override using CSS. And that's the power of CSS is that you can say this tag has these properties, but you can also say this class has these properties. You could say this class that is inside one of these tags has this property, but this class that is in the same class that is inside of a different tag has different properties. So just it's the nesting is insane. Yeah. Like that is, that's to be good at CSS. You like the thing you learn is to be efficient about how you nest these things. Mm. So, um, you know, the cascading is is a big part of like things overriding things. Yep. But you want to go the other direction sometimes too. Right. Like if you override what a paragraph says inside of a, or let's say an important paragraph is going to be use uh, italics, say it's emphasized, uh, you know, and be like maybe one size bigger in red because you don't have an aesthetic sense. Yeah. Um, you, <laughs> that's, that's your important thing, right? Semantically, that's your important thing. It's the class importance. Okay, great. But on a different page, you actually want that, an important tag to still be the important tag, but to, to look different than you've already previously defined it. Yeah. Okay, well, how would you do that? Well, you would give it another class, right? And mm-hmm. so you can say that this, this thing that has these two classes, but more commonly, you would have a, a container element that would define its own class that would say what page it is or what, um, what type of content it contains, rather. And then inside of that, the important tag looks this way. But inside of a different element, the important tag looks this way. And there's no end to the, the amount of, this is where it's divs all the way down. Yeah. Is that the, one of the reasons why it's divs all the way down is because if you have a, 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 just a square on a website and you, and you look at the source code and you realize it's just 37 divs nested inside of each other with yeah. no content in between, yeah. like why would it be that way? It's because each of those divs usually will have different styling information on it. And it's, it's like partial styling information. Because those divs, those classes are reused elsewhere, and different combinations of things lead eventually to an, a different result. Because any CSS uh, uh, selector, which is a, an element or a, or a class or an ID, any of them can have any property on it. Some of the properties will be ignored by certain elements, right? If, if something is an inline block, it will ignore certain properties that only apply to uh, fully block level elements. Yeah. But you can still define it that way so that uh, something that overrides that can change it to an inline block and suddenly all those other properties apply now. 
um, that's again, everything is everything. And when you realize the power, the dangerous power of that, um, it's sort of it's thrilling in a sense that because you can do so much. That feels scary to me, to be honest. <laughs> it is. A little, it is a little <laughs> yeah. scary, and that's why you know, and it, it you can be sloppy, and that's fine. But when you get a sort of a, a headspace for organizing these things. Um, it can be really, really empowering because you can end up doing a lot of things very quickly. It's, uh, it sounds like it, it totally makes sense to me why CSS works for you and why it wouldn't work for me because I feel like um, I feel like you, be, you you like to understand a lot of how things work before you work in it. Yeah, and I don't like doing that. <laughs> I like to just go into it and hope hope that the thing tells me I'm wrong. Yeah, if CSS never tells me I'm wrong, then I'm just gonna keep doing really bad things. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's it supports that workflow. Yeah, right. Yeah, like that's it's not. It's not the way I would recommend doing sure. it, but it is a fully supportable workflow is for it to be whatever. Yeah. You know, and there is some virtue to that as yeah. much as it kind of bothers me. And it is truthfully, it's kind of how I learned it. Like, I don't know that I would have learned it otherwise because like I'm self-taught and there's there's two ways to self-teach yourself. You either get really dogmatic and you you feel you have an imposter syndrome. And so you end up learning the dogma better than the people who had professional training, <laughs> yeah. which has happened to me. Yeah. Or you do it where you just stumble your way into it slowly because you need a problem solved yeah. and you don't care that it's not the right way to do it. And then eventually you you build up a working knowledge. Yeah. And that's how I learned HTML. It's how a lot of people my age learned HTML <laughs> because it was the right time mm-hmm. when you were not punished for not knowing anything. Yeah. Um, and also no one cared that you knew anything. Yeah. And so, uh, and there were a lot of those best practices weren't defined yet. And so uh, I definitely slowly drips and drives learned how these things worked and all of the tricks on how to make things work and realizing, you know, these are all bad practice or they, they, they become harmful semantically, right? Or, yeah. this, you know, that um, those best practices do matter when you are working professionally. But right. if you are just working on a project yourself and you're not worried about other audiences or, or, or meeting standards, uh, those fallback methods, that, that chaos is still available to you yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want it. But you do, if you want to avoid that chaos, you do need more discipline than you do with, a, like, say, a statically typed programming language. Right. Um, and so that's a little bit sad sometimes because those boxes are very valuable to, to pen you in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that's the whole deal, but there's a couple little side topics. One is something called a preprocessor. So the thing about CSS is that it's not, it is absolutely not a programming language. Uh-huh. It itself can run no functions. It has no variables, although that's changing in newer versions. Mm. It is just a big list of properties, right? It is, it's kind of like JSON in that sense. Okay, yeah. Um, and I say that through gritted teeth because I hate JSON. <laughs> and I love CSS. Yeah. But there are these things called preprocessors. Uh, the most uh, common one and the best one currently is called SAS. Um, and what that is, is a superset language. So if anyone's worked with TypeScript, TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript that is statically typed. Yeah. And then what happens is you don't run that in a browser. You run it through a, um, a preprocessor that turns it into vanilla JavaScript, and then that runs in a browser. Um, cool. A lot of TypeScript applications will have that preprocessor just on the server. So you just upload your TypeScript to your server, and then the back end handles the translation. Okay. That is really common in web development because web pages, like they, they take HTML, CSS, JavaScript. That's all they do. But those, not, those things generally, even CSS, I'll say, they're hard to write. Um, they get very verbose. Uh, even when you're trying to be efficient, you end up copying things over and over and over again. Yep. Um, so what uh, SAS does as, uh, as a language is as a, su- a superset, provides variables. It provides uh, 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 much more nesting, even more nesting mm. abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, things that can define 
like this is a child of or this is a parent of, which would require some programming logic. And CSS yeah. alone can't do that. Yeah. So lots of properties that you can do uh, includes. So you can say in this CSS uh, file, include this other CSS file. Um, just basic sort of like quality of life features. And then you run it through a preprocessor. And I would say if you're learning CSS, I would say uh, do it via SAS uh, because it's a much more pleasant experience. And if you don't and then have to learn it later, it's a hassle to learn that preprocessor stuff. So better best get it out of the way right away. Um, we'll put some links in the show notes on sort of some good resources that, that helped me out. Um, there's a great uh, VS Code plugin that I use, uh, which is great, which is every time I save a SAS file, it just renders the, the CSS file, and then that's what I upload to the server. Huh. So it's relatively simple. Some systems are more complicated. It yeah. happens on the server or whatever. Depends on what you're making, really. Um, and then the other thing is, let's talk about Unity. Um, the USS uh, format, which is Unity Style Sheet. That's which is, what they're calling That's it. what they're calling USS. Oh, okay. Not United States ship. No. <laughs> <laughs> there probably is a USS Unity. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Could be. Okay. <laughs> Um, certainly on memory alpha, there's probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, uh, the what's interesting about this is rather than just say, let's put a Chromium web browser inside the Unity runtime and let people write HTML CSS. They say, let's basically do that, but let's make sure, let's have our own schema for these languages. Mm -hmm. The thing is, they're pretty much identical. They are not 100%, they don't cover the entire um, uh, space of CSS or HTML, but um, in the future, you can write your Unity user uh, interfaces, your HUDs, all that stuff, essentially using the same logic, okay. where you have a markup document that describes the stuff that goes on there, and then those can be like uh, uh, linked with game objects. It's very, it's not fully baked yet. It's yeah. getting, it's getting a lot closer. I mean, it was really in a rough shape for a while. Yeah. Um, they are calling it production ready now. I would say no, but it's it is very close. Okay. Um, you can use it. It's just there are things you still can't do in it. Yeah. Um. But eventually, it will replace all the things you could do with the the uh, current Unity UI system. Um. But then, so you write markup documents, and then you write uh style documents. So it works very much the same way. And what's great about it for me, as someone who every time I have to like look up what is the anchored position top like how do i define this unity ui property yeah but in css i just know all that stuff right right okay. so i'm you know people who know css will be will be mo more excited people who've done mobile games are probably more exposed to html content oh um even if they don't use html in the their their run times they probably have done more html development um uh folk uh, when, when you that working knowledge it can make you work so much quicker. Yeah. Um, and so the the problem is I, I've developed a handy working knowledge of the Unity UI system as well. Yeah. And I think this is now the third UI system in less than a decade um, that Unity has, you know, replaced the previous one with. Yeah. Mm. And so um, they only recently got rid of the that earlier one, uh, which I think, uh, I think it was phased, started to phase out in like 2016 or something. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's it was still available to use for a long, long time, and people held on to it. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the same for Unity UI because right. Unity UI is kind of great. Like, yeah. I, I really like it. That's a lot of good stuff. The weird irony is, so I'm working on Dream Settler. I'm building a web browser. I'm, I'm, I'm defining a markup language. I'm defining a style. So I'm, I'm using a lot of the, the, my knowledge of, of web development to find this sort of, to, to write pages for our thing. It's all displayed in Unity UI. I'm not using. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because it's just not quite capable enough right. for all the stuff we want to do uh, right. with it. Um, but man, it would be great. <laughs> it would solve a lot of performance problems. Like I wouldn't have to worry about 
Oh, it would be it would be great. It if sounds I could like use something that. you'd want to refactor down the line. No. Okay. <laughs> Actually, ironically, I kind of could because <laughs> I knew it. The, the the language that the markup language I wrote is a spec. Yeah, it has rules. Uh-huh. I could just re-implement that spec. Uh, see? Like that's yeah. It would basically be just by making another browser. I just know how much you like to refactor things. Oh boy, you, you've planted yeah, the seeds, Stephen. But um, but no, it's 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 a good system. I think you should look into it because it has those benefits. Mm. Um, it it can it's hugely scalable. Yeah. Um, and it is very performant. Um, and I that's think good. yeah, and uh, I think I. Th- I don't know this for certain, sure. But I think Unity is actually just implementing like a WebKit canvas ah, um, okay. uh, of its own. Um, it might be uh, it might be Blink, the, the one that Chrome uses, uh, but just a, basically essentially a web rendering engine um, that has you know benefited from years and years of open source innovation and optimization. Yeah. Um, in a way that um, you know, so the Unity can- canvas element, um, you know, has only benefited from a couple of years of Unity bumping around. Yeah. I mean it's great. It's not you know not, not against it. But um but there's um the scalability and the performance is pretty valuable. Okay. Um so I would recommend people take a, a, a peek at it um because the the philosophy of the, this way of of writing a, an interface of, of like separating your content from your view and like having it be um you know uh, reproducible and and uh, um uh, just def- defining these things and having them them uh, the, that cascading element that is is something that is really uncommon in other ui systems yeah um and i think is a real real would be a real value a lot of people the trick is you do it is a bit of a different way of thinking about it um and so i again i'd say it's not the unity implementation is not i would say not quite ready for prime time especially if you're if you don't know anything about css or this kind of system Hmm. it'll be very it'll feel very alien and you will and you will end up with a a, a result that's not that much different yeah um, (laughs) from what you started with um, but the potential is there, um, and there's a lot of things about it that that I think are, and I'm really excited to be using it on my next project uh, for the UI. Because even though I love the Unity UI system, mm-hmm. I CSS is so great, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I yeah. appreciate you being, you know, uh, displaying your love for CSS. I think that's great. Um, I'm at least curious about it, but also more anxious than ever before about CSS. So <laughs> it just seems like because you're gonna have to use it now. Well, <sighs> one day when you bring it up like that, yes. But also, just like the possibilities being endless is terrifying. Yeah, um, it's like being thrown in an ocean, expecting to figure out how to get to an island. Um, well, <laughs> I'm just a desk over. Just ask me for help. That's true. I do appreciate that. Um, and I suppose listeners have this episode to help them guide their way through the USS. Oh my gosh, it is a ship. I know, right? <laughs> Every time I look at it, I'm like looking for because there'll be like you'll see a sentence with a USS is something. And I'm like the USS is something. Like, <laughs> right? It's hard not to see it that way. Your brain adds the the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait. So did you look up whether it was actually a ship? No, I didn't. But I should. Yeah, let's do it real quick. I figure we just do it in the someone do it in the notes. You know, I I don't have the recording in front of me. I have no idea how long I blathered for. You you. Wax poetic about CSS for forty six minutes. Oh my god, that's way too long. <laughs> well, I mean, minus the what meta. Of you should have stopped me. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. 36 minutes it, minus the meta. It uh, is. It is a ship, and it is in fact on real. <laughs> <laughs> what what class is it? Sovereign class. Oh yeah. Oh, that's Those are hilarious. Nice. Oh, that's that's so funny. <laughs>
So I was talking earlier about how this episode's coming out after GDC. Yes. Uh huh. And I was looking back at our GDC content from 2022. Yeah. And we put out two episodes last year, a lot of stuff, a lot of interviews. But on the Patreon, it's like a couple extra hours yeah, of interview like, content, goodness like sake. full unedited uh, things of a bunch of our different... I'd forgotten we put that up there. It is all up there. <laughs> it is a lot of content and a lot of it is good. It is. And so, man, we got some good stuff. There were... Stuff. I mean, there are just so many cool people there. Yeah. yeah. And we got to interview a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get access to that unless you're on the Patreon. And we're back. Yep. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. Join us. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, Stephen, you've got a topic. That's fine. You took my transition. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, that's Ellen's. It's only she could use it now. Wow. Fine. My topic is skill trees. Not excited about it now because I didn't get to transition. You're not right. selling that now. <laughs> yeah. No, skill trees. Well, it's kind of interesting because me and my brother had a whole, you know, we were talking about, and by talking, I mean arguing about skill trees. <laughs> um, uh, my brother started playing. Wait, not- does your brother have neighbors? <laughs> yes. What? Okay. What? All right. We live together now for a, for a brief period of time and we're just, you know, constantly screaming at each other. It's great. No one has called the cops or anything. Um, no. <laughs> we don't scream at each other all the time. No. <laughs> we do argue a lot, but not that much. Um, you know, I wonder if, if I, I'd have to compare, like, the amount of time we actually have conversations versus arguing. Yeah. You need, like, you need a live-in statistician just for, like, a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be fascinating. Um, anyway, this is before we, I, even, uh, I even moved in with my brother. Um, we, he was playing God of War Ragnarok. You know, there's a period of time where Kratos, I guess, gets us enough points to get skills. And there's a skill tree. Yeah. And to me, I was like, what the heck is this? This doesn't make any sense. Every game does this now. Why are they doing this? I felt like it was just hacked onto the game because like every game did it. And my brother disagreed because he was like, well, it gives the player the ability to customize their, you know, the, the character and feel like they have some input in the game. Um, and eventually uh, we argued long enough where I just started rationalizing. Oh, man, out. I could yell at your brother about that. Yeah. Because there was a skill tree in the 
latest Mario and Rabbids game. Oh, yeah. And I kind of liked it. I was like oh. engaged with it of oh. like choosing one or to choose. Mm-hmm. You know what? Midway through the game, yeah. I was just like, I'm just picking the things that I would play with. Yeah. If you just gave me all of it, I would still only play with these yeah. abilities. Yeah. And I got real mad. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, <laughs> like, why am I spending all this time deciding where to put this token or that token? When you just let me let me pick. <laughs> let me just decide why I want to play this game. Just let me know all the things. Yeah. Don't yeah. Make, don't make me purchase how I want to play. Well, and that's the thing, right? I think that a lot of uh, I should say AAA games, but I I think indie games do this still. A yeah. lot of a lot of indie games do skill trees as well. And I think a lot of reason why they do that is because part of it is it paces the game out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know players are introduced to more content and specifically content that they're more interested in um, as the game goes on. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, like they you can when you're picking the content you want, you can pick the content that you want and not the content that the game developers think you want. Um, which you know we can be right or wrong about that. I don't know. Um. And so it, it kind of allows players to like tune the game in a way that allow or that that works best for them. Yeah. Um, but I think that a lot of times with skill trees, they're implemented they're implemented because of all those reasons, but not necessarily because it actually fits within the aspects of the game itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a problem. I think that's something that uh, we should solve. And I, I, I do oftentimes feel like I'm just hidden here in my uh uh what's the it's not glass tower. Ivory, Ivory tower. tower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yelling at AAA do saying do it right when like I'm just not doing the thing. So like <laughs> of course I would, I can say whatever I want. Um but like we in in Fingence, we've done a little bit of skill trees. It's not exactly the same thing as a like a full blown skill tree where you yeah. get new sets and stuff. But we have augments. I think we've even do. had this discussion on the show before like yeah. what's the difference between like like a like a point system yeah. and then like an, and an unlock system yeah. and Sometimes there's not much of a difference. Yeah, it's yeah. It, um, and I guess I'm I'm here to talk about that basically because I, I want to know. I'm I'm curious y'all's thoughts about like what specifically how to best utilize the skill tree. What makes a skill tree interesting versus what makes a skill tree just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. Uh, some of the thoughts that I had with respect to like um what makes a good skill tree is a skill tree where you can't unlock all the things in the skill tree. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's you might as well just give players everything. And then just have them stumble across all of the interesting things that they could do with it um, versus just like slowly giving the player uh, enough skill points so that they can unlock all the things in the skill tree anyways. Because that's just grinding at that point, right? You're just playing the game enough so that you yeah. can get all the stuff. And I've done that before. I'm guilty of that. Like game will um, give you all the stuff. And I'm like, well, I want to be able to do these things in particular. And I don't particularly want 5% more co- uh, combat strength or whatever. Um, but I don't know. I like the game enough. I guess I might as well unlock this thing too. Um, but it doesn't really feel like a meaningful choice if eventually that choice is overwritten. Yeah. You know? One thing that that Sparks of Hope did yeah. that I did sort of appreciate, even though it was frustrating, sure. is you could respec at any time. Yeah. Which I think <laughs> thematically the, it ruins the whole point of these skill trees. Yes. Yeah. Like uh, the skill tree is a metaphor for a character's progression right? right yeah i think the batman games do this pretty well yeah where it's like oh he gets new gear and he uses the gear and he has enough experience with the gear he unlocks an extra chamber in the whatever yeah, you know like yeah, yeah. It, it's it's still silly but it, there's some logic to it in right. terms of the narration but then players will be like well what if i make a mistake or i pick the thing i'm going to do it but then in the level i find i didn't really want to do it well game developers are nice Okay, well, let's let's let you respec. Well, maybe we'll only let you do it every now and again, or and then like Sparks of Hope says, just whenever you want, mm-hmm. and then it becomes a totally different mechanic. Yes, mm-hmm. um, which is itself kind of interesting, mm-hmm. but then it no longer feels like a skill tree. 
Yeah. Right. It does just feel like you're at the market shopping for powers. Yeah. yeah. Which is okay, but they're not, I think we haven't gotten to the point where developers in AAA have realized that's what it is now. Yeah. And then they, and gearing towards that metaphor. It's still very much of like, do you want to like reduce your biceps to make your make your legs faster? Like yeah. <laughs> you can do that now. And uh, it's like that makes no sense. Like you gotta hold your arms above your head. Yeah. And you gotta squeeze your yeah. bicep down towards your legs. Do, do you <laughs> yeah. wanna fire three shotgun shells, but then you only get two grenades? Like, mm-hmm. okay, great, but why is that happening in the middle of the game or whatever? Yeah. Like or you know, it Yeah, it's the it was the problem I had with it is the metaphor is weird, right? Yeah. For skill trees. And the way that I I think the way that I rationalize it, like you were describing it, is like a uh, Kratos, because I was talking about God of War, I guess. Kratos is like using his axe a lot and he's throwing it at enemies and stuff. and He's getting better at throwing it at enemies in particular ways where he's where he comes up with this idea to throw it. So it spins harder or something. I don't know. (laughs) The game's weird. Yeah, it's all magic. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. What is Kratos doing that moment? Is he is he coming up with that or like you, the player, have been have been like salivating over that skill yes. for the last five hours. Yeah. Has Kratos been doing that? Has yeah. he been waiting? Just strong enough so I could do that special thing. Yeah. Or is it that he gets strong enough? Like, what's the story? Yeah, exactly. I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. And I just kind of rationalized it, mostly because I was tired of arguing with my brother, because we actually have been arguing for like two hours or something. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, wow. Oh, my goodness. That's regular uh, That's regular stuff in the McGregor household. Did you but, uh, get more skill points in arguing? I think they maxed out years ago. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I only really am good at arguing against my brother specifically or my dad. Um, well, not good at my dad because my dad has – he's maxed out his points. You want to talk about maxing Because <laughs> he will just argue for five hours, and eventually I'm just sick of it. I'm just like, whatever, dad. I'll do what you want. Just shut up. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't listen to these episodes, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, the metaphor of skill trees is just kind of weird, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And I kind of have a hard time wrapping my head around it, and I think that's part of my criticism with skill trees. And the frequency in which they're used and why I had an issue with it in particular with God of War, because it felt tacked on because the the narrative of why this skill tree exists doesn't work outside of it helps the player progression. Yeah. And it's like, sure, that's good. But like, it also should still feel like a hole within this respect of the game. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think, I mean, a lot of triple A games, they just have a lot of content and some of that content still meshes with the game weirdly i don't know sometimes like in i always think of um, watchdogs where you can play chess hmm. and like why am i playing being able to play chess in watchdogs when the whole goal of the game is to like hack things not hacking chess pieces mm-hmm. um <laughs> but uh i it, but like some 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 extra stuff that you can do in the game does still like match up with the game mm-hmm. um but i think like the, the yeah I, th- I think that the metaphor for skill trees just doesn't quite match match well yeah. with with the games and i and i yeah i guess i want yeah i want to talk about that a little bit i'm yeah i'm just thinking about how i mean they can just get implemented in so many different ways this is okay but like well, broad strokes how have they evolved you know like yeah. where did they start and then how have they evolved mm-hmm. yeah well there were i mean there was a period of time when well i guess it depends on the game because sometimes with skill trees you get like minor bonuses towards stuff yeah and eventually it leads to a big progression yeah like sometimes you get five percent more attack yeah or whatever and then you know eventually it'll be you unlock a new attack because you've built up the thing um and that is a progression in that like you know you are progressively getting stronger but the player doesn't really feel it until you get to a big until like you've gotten quite far in a certain branch or you get to a big uh skill 
that like you know gives you a completely new set of abilities or something like that um but i think a lot of times nowadays with skill trees they each give you something new to do they'll give you like a combo finisher or um a new new ability mm-hmm. during combat or mm-hmm. you can swing a, a different way i don't know in, in spider-man or something like that that has a skill tree too mm-hmm. um yeah, equipment upgrades, which are essentially skill trees. Yeah. Because the metaphor is a little different, I'm sort of more into them. Yeah. So Spider-Man I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart had a unique way to do it oh. where it was a, a sort of like a grid of hex tiles. Uh-huh. And you could expand out in any direction. But then uh, and each one gave you something, an extra um, uh, more ammo or uh, faster uh, a, a reload or something sure and you worked your way towards a big prize yeah but you got a little prize on the way and yeah you would, that was a lot of fun okay and i it, the metaphor is a little like mass effect also like even though it's that one's more of a traditional skill tree that one felt more at home to me mm. but ellen i wanted your opinion on something specifically because i think the purest form of a skill tree the sort of no ui skill tree yeah is like a metroidvania where you collect i mean samus in particular you collect weapons you collect missiles Instead of like experience, you don't trade experience for the next level or whatever. It's you find the next thing, and so that's that's how you choose, and it's very diegetic in a way. Yeah, maybe, but I guess like the thing is, is getting more missiles doesn't unlock the ice ray. Yeah, yeah, right. Like it is different. Yeah, yeah, you know. So if if you get more missiles, then you have lots of missiles and the ice ray. Mm. Which is one of the reasons I love those games. <laughs> right? Where I think the kind of system that you're describing, that you're describing as frustrating, Stephen, is where you have lots of convoluted trade-offs. Yeah. Because, I like trade-offs. Okay. It's not, but it's not the trade-offs. It's the fact that they just, like, don't well, it's, make it's a, it's sense. Currency. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think part of the thing with skill trees, well. It's an economy. Yes. Right, where that's why I, that's why I was bringing up Metroid. Oh, like, sure. The, the same thing happens. Yeah. But it, the mechanism by which you upgrade is through exploration and challenge. Yeah. Uh, and and the way that it happens in skill trees is exploration and challenge gives you points which you can then spend on things. I think. And it's just that, that extra level of abstraction. Yeah. It's kind of user friendly and very. Uh, that's why they've been getting more player well, uh, um, um, forgiving. In yeah. Well, we, we've been using XP. As a as a metaphor for yeah. players getting or the the character getting better at r- normally hitting stuff, um, <laughs> you know, for ninety five percent hitting stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've been using hitting. that since you know uh, uh, since games have spawned almost. Yeah, um, and so like I think that's something that like gamers are familiar yeah. with, and and so that meta that 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 narrative. For skill trees makes a lot of sense. Okay, so you're not really seeing the same connection I am, and you're not really seeing the same connection. Well, I think that the difficulty I'm having with specifically with Metroidvanias is part of it is like most of the time when you need to collect something, it's something you need to complete the level. It's a puzzle piece. Yeah. You know, to unlock things. Yeah. Uh, Whereas the skill tree is oftentimes just a bonus thing that you can use. Yeah, but sometimes you need a certain skill to get through a a thing. That's true. But Ellen, you don't see the connection? Well, there's there's something there to consider, right? Because... But I don't, you're not really, you're not really upscaling Samus the way that you would be upscaling, say, I, I keep, my brain keeps coming back to World of Warcraft. Yeah. Um, and yeah. play lots of Mass Effect too, but I think it's just the, the, this Mass Effect, at least Mass Effect 2 where I spent so much time, mm-hmm. it had bars. It didn't really have trees. Yeah. You know, um, but there were still decisions you had to make in terms of like how many points you were going right. to dump into one of the different abilities you could get. Yeah. If you dumped points here, then you couldn't dump them here. 
Yeah. Um, but just thinking to World of Warcraft, and I haven't played, I've not played the um, current uh, retail versions, um, but you know, it's still those choices, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you go into one of the trees, either like your balanced druid or your restoration druid or your feral druid, and I guess the thing that the thing that frustrated me about a player as World of Warcraft, and maybe this is going to lead to something, I'm just going to think out loud and say it, mm-hmm. but like being a generalist was never rewarding. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was almost never re- rewarded. Right. It definitely wasn't reward- rewarded in like rating and PVE. Absolutely not. Yeah. Like, you know, there were builds that would have you get some specific skills in this one tree and a different skill in this one tree. But if you wanted to be like a DPS feral druid then you this was the build that you did right and so like maybe that's a specific thing with an mmo there's just so many people that are gaming the system and sharing that information i don't think that's unique to mmos i think that's an rpgs thing yeah like, well because a lot of times if you're trying if you know if you're going through a skill tree and you're trying to optimize your character mm. um there's oftentimes one real decision you're supposed to make and that's yeah. just to look it up um somebody <laughs> else is optimized it yeah. for you right you know um and it's difficult as a player to well i have a hard time like not optimizing i i, I find it very difficult when i have a bunch of options to not just look the stuff look up the, the well i'll try to make, optimize it myself and be like this is not working i don't feel any better i feel i feel like i could be a lot better at this and then i look it up and i'm like oh obviously this is the way to do it and that feels very frustrating as a yeah. player because it it feels like the game was giving me a bunch of choices, but the real, but there exactly. isn't an actual choice. Yes, that's the, exactly the, it. You're making a wrong choice, I guess. The other options are distractors. That's sort of a meta thing that I have an issue with. You if know. you as a player don't care about the optimal thing and you still feel kind of satisfied making some of these decisions, then it's totally fine. But oftentimes the decisions you make is like 5% strength versus 5% dexterity. And it's like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, the, yeah. the number go upness of it all yeah. is, is a little. And so I, I really I prefer it when skill trees give you unique or interesting choices, mm-hmm. and like there's an yeah. opportunity cost if you pick one versus the other. Yep. Instead of doing five percent strength versus five percent dexterity, why not five hundred percent strength and five hundred percent dexterity? I'm sure the economy doesn't matter, <laughs> but like yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you'll definitely feel a difference. Your axes will all of a sudden hit way harder versus yeah. your bow's yeah. ability. Or wasn't well, that the problem of game balance in general? Is like yeah. the more balanced you make something, the harder it is for people to feel. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That tracks. Yeah, but that's exactly. I think that's exactly it, Stephen. Like, I when I when I see a skill tree. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. my my assumption automatically is that there are correct choices. Yes. And that the other ones are just for fooling around, really, or distractors. Yeah. Um, which are just like, it feels like a multiple choice question. You know, it's so funny you both say that because I don't think I've ever felt that. Mm. I think maybe it's because I don't care, maybe. Could like, be. But also, like, AAA games are, I mean, this is going to sound weird for me to say, but I, by and large, AAA games are very easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, and it's hard to break them right, right. with the skill trees. Yeah. And- I think what frustrates me is that I pick the things I like and then it ends up not mattering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the same that's, thing. I, nev- I never really feel like I did something wrong. Okay. Um, if the, maybe if the game would rather I had this ability by this time, like, I'm like, well, I picked something different. So the game is still going to, I'm still going to beat the game though, right? Mm-hmm. And the game never disabuses me of that notion. Yeah. 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 So it, maybe it's the same thing. It's just expressed a little different. It's like, I think it's, it does, it sounds like the same thing to me, to be honest. Yeah. It, it's the same. I think it ends up with the same feeling. Yeah. You know, like, it it just doesn't when i see a skill tree i don't see meaningful interaction 
Yeah. And that and that's the problem, right? And admittedly, I guess we're not we're complaining about skill trees and not necessarily setting it straight in how you're supposed to do a skill tree. We're thinking about we're it. We're thinking about we're it. We're exploring the topic. Yeah. Yes. But like that I think that's what I have a fundamental issue with with respect to skill trees. It's well, there's the two things. It's that oftentimes it doesn't feel like the decision actually matters that much. Yep. Um it either either there's a right decision or the decision is not impactful enough for it for me to actually care about it. Mm-hmm. Um or um, the the metaphor, the reason for behind the skill tree, what that skill tree translates to in terms of the narrative in the game, does not quite match. Right. Um, yeah. So like I, I I don't have a I don't have a strong idea on how to fix that now. Admittedly, I haven't designed that many skill trees. Yeah. Um, I have designed a, a few, I guess, sort of. Like augments and fingents are random. They're not really skill trees in that way. Like mm-hmm. I've designed some augments to work well with other augments. But like, like that was a change you guys made. Yes. I, I remember like being part of that process when you guys were changing that, like mm-hmm. that you were gathering feedback from a bunch of people about yeah. how it felt. Yeah. And people were basically saying like, I don't want to spend all this time picking stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, and you introduce that you get, you pick randomly from three and that automatically told the player, like make a choice, but you just, so you know, the choice isn't that important. Yeah. And then the player was removed that I felt it was a big improvement because it removed the burden of the player from having to spec. Mm-hmm. Of course, players who like to spec their characters, you know, maybe would be frustrated by that. Well, and we, you still have spec. But I think that yeah, speaks yeah. to a lot of your frustrations yeah. is yeah. you avoided that, I think. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, and avoiding it isn't confronting the problem, right? Yeah. Uh, well. So. That's okay. I mean, this is a category of Steven topic, which is do better devs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of my topic. I don't, I don't think you avoided it. I think that you listened to player feedback and, yeah. and you know, introduced a different, you, you d- scaled down the amount of choices yeah, yeah. I mean, you pivoted away from what it was. Yeah. So that was definitely a, ch- a choice and a sacrifice. Right, right, right. I'm not saying I didn't solve a problem. I'm saying I didn't make a skill tree in the same way. That yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like, I think that if I were to approach a skill tree in a different way, I'd have to, I'd have to really think about how that yeah. would uh, um, function. Yeah. What would it take? I think for me, it would. Ha- I think you'd have to gate content. I think. Mm-hmm. Um. I think this. The. I mean, the, I'm just. I'm just guessing now, but I feel that the best skill trees that I've played are ones where you could just everything equal and then you're always plenty, maybe even a little overpowered in all areas. And then the choices you make are sacrifice something to gain something yeah. rather than making the right choice. Yeah. You know what I mean? The way to make that interesting is make those sacrifices interesting Yeah. yeah. by by gating content and by saying you can only have this content if you deny yourself this content and give player full informed consent over that kind of stuff yeah instead of having them guess at what they need for the next mission or whatever opportunity cost or uh, have them feel make choices based on where the narrative is going instead of just saying well I, I like I like being a brawler so I'm just gonna pick all the brawler powers like but this story actually is, is gearing me towards something I might not be as interested in mechanically that might be a more fulfilling hmm. thing for players but like all things, it requires a more holistic approach, tying all these things into each other. Yeah. And I think that's just outside the scope of a lot of huge, huge projects, Yeah, which tend to be very focused. Like, okay, this skill tree feels frustrating. How can we do it? Well, let's give the player more options, make the UI easier to understand. Mm-hmm. And then but at no point are they thinking about any other part of the game because yeah. there's other people worrying about those things. Yeah. You know? I think there's yeah. there's got to be a really interesting relationship. I think that and this might be part of the topic that we won't have time to scratch on today. Mm-hmm. But like, Ellen says that because she's looking at the clock. It, yes, <laughs> staring her in the face over there, <laughs> slowly falling over. Um, the The size of the game, I think, has a lot to do with the size and the complexity of the skill tree, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, that seems obvious when I, I say it loud. Like meaningful time upgrading, 
Right. Otherwise, it's not worth having more than yeah. two things on the tree. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, like your 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 skill, your upskill mechanic for vengeance was one thing, and your upskill mechanic for Mass Effect was another. Yeah. That was bigger and more complicated. Yeah. Then you go to something like Xenoblade Chronicles Three. Oh gosh. Yeah. I imagine that's quite ridiculous because those games are big. Yeah. Well, um, mostly just like. Actually, I don't know much about it. Eric played that game a ton, and I don't remember much about what was in there. But like the size of the, you know, it would be big, and there'd be a lot of choices because it's like a hundred-hour game. Yeah, you know, I I, I'm reminded of Skyrim, um, because like you know, I I haven't modded Skyrim in a long time now because I've just I've done it enough. Um, (laughs) But when I moved on finally, yeah, (laughs) I'm waiting for Starfield. (laughs) Um, but um, uh. You know, I, I played the original game vanilla, didn't mod it, um, and I was very unsatisfied with how skills upgraded in that. Because oftentimes it'd just be like your axes do twenty percent more damage, and you don't know how much that actually is. Mm-hmm. You can't really feel it. Yeah. Um. Right. So like eventually, that's what, just to yeah. sorry to interrupt, but that's what makes it different from like D and D. Yeah. Where like number go up feels more real in D and D. Yeah. Because it, I, I maybe it's just a tiny like sort of like experiential difference, but mm-hmm. rolling a die, doing the math yourself, yeah, is the metaphor for the feeling of it. Yes, in a way that having twenty percent more to your axe in a video game feels like nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think part of that is um, actually kind of we were just saying about gating content, right? Mm-hmm. So, like one thing that seems to happen is when your character levels up, then you're going to a new zone, and yeah. in that mm-hmm. new zone, the everything else is are, stronger. Harder, to, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah so yeah. like you don't you your axe does swing harder, but there's more to swing at. Well, that's the game balance thing. It files off all the interesting edges. That's true, and yeah. specifically with Skyrim, like everything levels up when you level up. Um, but uh, uh, there are a bunch of mods that you can get that change how skill trees work and give you completely new abilities to unlock as you mm-hmm. get better at axes or whatever. Um, and it changes up like some some of them like give you more abilities that you can do um, with. Your axes. I don't know why I keep thinking about axes, because uh, you can use swords and daggers and junk. Um, but whatever. Axes uh, are cool. Axes are cool. <laughs> Hammers are even cooler. I like using the warhammer because it's slow and hits a lot. It's hard. Um, but uh, I um I had experimented with those and they take the different approach, kind of the approach that I had been describing. Um, but that still also felt a little unsatisfying in some ways, partly because like you know if you leveled up lock picking in in vanilla Skyrim, if you leveled up lock picking, you're not anywhere. You're not any better at like combat, and most of Skyrim is combat. You need to run away from or hit the tigers and stuff to survive, or you will just get wrecked. And your lock picking isn't going to allow you to the the beat the tigers harder. Um, but the the new skill sets like allow you to lock pick things so that like you can get a better weapon that allows you to be better at games or better at the combat, which is kind of interesting, right? Because it all still ties in with the core of Skyrim, which I would argue is a combat. Mm-hmm. Um, like and, it, it still feels. Uh, I don't know. It still feels kind of weird, I guess. It, does, it doesn't quite... I don't know that it doesn't work, but it just, it still just feels kind of weird and mm. different and mm-hmm. not right. So, like, I am curious, listeners, what how you feel about skill trees. I would love the, if there was a big old conversation in Discord about skill trees. Um, so you can come in and yell at everybody. Yes! Steven wants to fight you on Discord. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Charles. Bring it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I, yeah, I'm really curious what how people feel about skill trees and things like that because, like, I do feel like they're using a lot of things overused, frankly, and I would like them to be better, but I don't have a strong direction on what how what that looks like. Yeah, yeah and you've described all the things that are wrong with all of them, <laughs> and I'm like, yes, they're all bad, and then yeah. I think back and I'm like, 
No, they're not. But I can't really explain. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Some of them work and some of them don't. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 a very it's very weird. It's very weird. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure either. Like, I shared some ideas, but I I don't feel um, particularly qualified to weigh in mm-hmm. on improvements and makes me want to find someone who is super qualified. But that's the problem for a different day. <laughs> yeah. That's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter and Mastodon at NiceGamesClub, where deal tweets and toots about game dev resources and having a marketing plan. We like hearing from you a lot, so tweet and toot back, or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon, as we talked about earlier. Support the show, and you get stuff, including ad-free episodes. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and fight Steven. <laughs> so, until we start again, remember to. That's what I'm supposed to say. I don't have the script in front of me. <laughs> you nailed it, okay, thank you. Play nice. And make nice. Good luck editing that. That's good. It was fine. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, my computer died. So it's not plugged oh, in. Oh, no. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm used to it being plugged in all the time. Yeah. So I didn't really worry about it. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.